So this is um, the Gender Balance Group and International Women's Day is coming up and we always do a podcast with um, someone amazing within the JLL business and on this occasion our special guest is Sasha Covington who's COO within the valuation team. Um, we'll just introduce ourselves and then um, we'll say hi to Sasha. So I'm Joanna Gabrielatsu in the planning and development team up in um, the north in Manchester and over to Mel. So I'm Melinda Cross. Um, I'm in the Industrial Logistics Agency and Capital Markets team based in the London office. And Sasha, welcome. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Always a delight to speak to you both. I'm, I'm such a massive girl fan of you both and all the work that you've done in JOL for gender balance. It's, it's incredible, like raising awareness. But yes, who am I? I'm Sasha Covington. COO for UK Valuation Advisory. Um, been at JOL 24 years now, so girl and woman, so a long while. So I've seen a lot of changes throughout the years, not only in products, but actually how many women are in JOL now, which is always fascinates me when I walk on the floor. Um, yeah, and I'm seeing some changes. It that That's one of the great things actually about when you've been somewhere for a long time, you can see how things have moved on. And I've done 16 years next month as well. How time flies. And when I joined, I was actually part time and I was the first professional apparently to join the Manchester office on a part time basis. And certain people had to get their heads around that. But it's normal now. And it just goes to show how things do change. And with time and with challenging, it does happen and it can do. It, it has it has definitely changed and and you working part time is actually more the norm as you say but I do remember a time where I worked with with a young lady she had two she actually had twins and she she went to our firm decided you know she had the she had the twins and then came back to work three days a week and I had a conversation with her just one of those at the coffee coffee machines which are quite rare now isn't it because we're working from home and uh, she asked how she could get promoted. And, uh, and I said, you know, you need to go and speak to your line manager. And so I've done that. But it's been made very clear to me I can't be promoted because I'm working three days a week and it's not the norm. And I, I, it will never happen to me. They don't feel I work um, hard enough. And I know if I go back full time, I won't be able to care for my children. And that to me was always really sad. And leading from that, I went to see our lead director and explained that, you know, there's, there's someone in our team who's part time and feels that she can't be promoted. It's not about the hours she works. It's about the output that she delivers and what she is achieving. And, you know, with some help and some sponsorship and sponsorship is really important. Hopefully we'll touch on that later on in the podcast with that help and sponsorship and with the right guidance and mentorship. Yeah, she made it to the director and she worked three days a week, which you know, 10 years ago was shocking, but now it's the norm. And actually, I can sort of sort of copy that as well. I was part time when I went from AD to director and it shows it can be done, but you do need support as well. You need people to back you up. Yeah, you do need support. And from my point of view, um, when I was at King Sturge, when I came back um, four days and being transactional, that's quite difficult. Um, but at Collier's that I was before, they just made it pretty impossible. And I had a, um, yeah, I had a premature baby and I couldn't come back to work. And they were like, well, we can't really, you're an agent. You've got to be in five days a week. That's how it works. So, yeah, yeah that, that does help you when you come back. And it's an adjustment when you come back, especially if you've had a child that's been quite sickly. Yeah, you can't 
just jump from one to the other and you've got guilt both ways. You're worried about your job, worried about letting your colleagues down and you're worried about your baby as well. That is difficult. Really, really tough. And and I think as well, you know, I speak to many, many ladies who are going on maternity leave and one of the and the ways really and it really does concern me that they have this fear of almost missing out that, you know, that they're going to be their careers are going to be set back. But the conversation I have with them is, you know, go and be, you know, go and have that upfront conversation with your line manager. You know, your career is on pause. It has not stopped because you've had a baby. It is on pause. And most businesses in JOL have a five-year business plan. And she's gone out of the business for a year. And when she comes back, there is still four years left. And she will fit in that plan. And it is about, you know, being having open, honest conversations. When am I going to return to work? What kind of role will I be in when I return? And having those conversations as she's coming back, get back in touch with her. Because coming back after maternity leave is it's like starting a new job these all new faces and you know the market's moved on the world's moved on but no i i agree melinda it is it really is difficult returning to work and trying to juggle both family and your career i think it's going to be interesting over the next few years as well at jll how that's going to affect the men in the business as well because it's always traditionally been okay the ladies some of the ladies going to go off on mat leave and come back and then pick up again from where they left off. And for the first time, we're starting to see this year that some of our colleagues are going to go off on paternity leave as well. And they're going to take whatever period that is, three months, six months or whatever. And they're going to start experiencing probably what some of us have done as well before. Yes, yeah, so that reminds me of um, um, when I went for a job at DTZ, a and it was 20 years ago now. And at the end of the interview, um, when when you're asked, have you got any questions? My main question was, you do know I'm applying, but only for part time. And I said, yeah, that's fine. My wife's part time. My wife, you know, she's at home. And the other guy said, yeah, same here. We're in the same boat. Don't worry about it. And it was the first time I'd had that experience of, oh, I can breathe. Because prior to that, it was a real problem that, the business I was in before couldn't handle it. They couldn't get their heads around it at all. And that was in consultancy where I think, Sasha, you, you and I have experienced it's actually easier than the transactional side. But it's still a challenge even now for some people. And I think until you've actually been in that world, it is difficult. And it's definitely getting better, but not everyone's got that confidence. Mel and I have done a number of events um, that speed mentoring is one, but the other one's navigating your career. And we've done three or four of those and we've got another one coming up. I think it's in April. And we have had questions about, you know, how how do you deal with going on mat leave and coming back? And actually we had we've had a question of when should I go off and have my baby? And we can't answer all those questions, but it's it's a real worry that people have got when they're making these life-changing decisions it's and it's bad that they're actually asking us you make that decision that's a personal decision isn't it not necessarily a work decision so every year with international women's day there is a theme and this year's theme is breaking the bias and we all i often question myself and have to remind myself what does that mean and it is a difficult one but in terms of i think you've got unconscious bias and you've got conscious bias 
and we're not going to go into the science of it because we're not scientists but in terms of the unconscious bias we've all got it and we all automatically fall into certain thoughts in terms of stereotypes and you know sadly you know you think of football fans and one of the things that still comes into a lot of people's minds is football fans equals hooligans well we know that's not the case i'm a mad fo uh, football fan i'm not a hooligan but it th there's these automatic perceptions of people and we as a business international women's day bringing it to the forefront again is how are we and what are we doing to crack that and we clearly are as a business doing so so much but I just wonder if that in terms of what your thoughts are in terms of how we are dealing with it and in sort of your part of the business, for instance, Sasha, and is it to do with things like the way we're recruiting and so on? Because what we understand is in the workplace is that unconscious bias is falling into the way we make business decisions, the way we recruit, the way we behave with different individuals. But how do you see it? Yeah, this was. This, I knew the topic of this, and I, I found it really difficult because you know this unconscious bias is an automatic response, isn't it? It's like almost like a shortcut to process information and information, and it comes in all forms and in our thoughts and and quite and it's all about stereotype, isn't it? Our thoughts around women, ages and weight, our looks, the colour of our hair. We all have a judgment in that, and some of it is in inbred from from when we grow up and the people we hang out with, even the per people we work with but it it kind of leads me to the point about you know we we look for this male type don't we who is kind of striving and he's you know he's a team leader we want him to build a team and he can you know go and speak to clients and he's a you know he's a business generator and when we're looking for staff we know that type of person works and so we automatically think, well, let's hire the same sort of people. Let's go and hire the man that has done that in the past. And I think that's where our unconscious bias is. And we think actually those traits are in women as well. But it's actually called, in some cases, being, you know, aggressive. You know, if those women have those traits, it's or having a strop. Or, she, or she's very strong-willed and she's not listening. In, you know she's got a chip on her shoulder but actually they're the same traits in a man and, yeah. and I think when we're looking at when we're looking at recruiting we need to kind of shut down those um, unconscious bias look at the job in hand what are we trying to achieve do we want you know trailblazers you can find a trailblazer in every gender in every color so we shouldn't kind of we should but need to double check ourselves it's interesting you say that because um I've had before when I've pulled someone aside about not working hard enough. I'm a slave driver. Well, uh, he's not he's not here anymore, that person that said that. Um, but funny enough, if, you know, another director had said, you know, you're not working hard enough, you're disappearing, you know, what would they have been called? Probably quite a strict boss. Rather than a slave driving, whatever I got called. So it's it's interesting that, you know, if you're strict, hardworking, you know and you really push it which you you have to from a transactional point of view that you're regarded differently from what maybe a male colleague is i don't i mean I, i'd say jl internally you're probably not but it's just what clients and other people are saying that are outside the business you know about you that yeah it's different isn't it really 
Yeah, Mel, I was going to ask you about that because I'm really internal facing. So all of my interactions are really with, you know, senior leaders. In fact, every level, I, I, you know, I deal with every level. Um, but I'd be really interested to hear if you've come across any of those unconscious biases from a client side and, and how you've dealt with that. I'd say most clients now are sort of with it. Um, I've had clients in the past, especially when I was younger, saying, well, is she actually really going to hack it as an industrial agent? Isn't she going to leave? Um, I've also had some, I'd say, counterparts who are older than me or, you know, sort of older surveyors of the older generation, probably two generations above me. So I think at the beginning thought, you know, I should be probably at home doing the washing and have finally accepted me that I'm not going anywhere. And I've been around, you know, 25 years now and I'm not going anywhere and I haven't been anywhere. Um, and I think that's less and less, particularly like with your, your counterparts and other firms, you know, we're having more women in industrial. And for instance, JL, we've got a high percentage of our colleagues and that's not by purpose. That's just because we're, you know, it's the right person for the, the right job. And we've just been quite good at sort of employing the right person for the right job and we let people go as far as, as far as they can. Um, but as I say, it's... <laughs> It's difficult. I think some of the examples I've said to Joanna before when myself or a couple of female colleagues have had calls from sort of client um, applicants phoning in for properties and when you answer and they get put through to you, they also they automatically are waiting to be put through to someone else because you're a female voice and they'll say, oh, I'm phoning up about industrial unit. Can you put me through? And I know you're speaking to someone and they almost have to take it back that you're female and they're talking to you about a warehouse. They automatically are expecting you to a man's voice. So we, we still do get that, the team. You have to sort of correct people. And they do, and most people sort of apologise. I did have one example when a guy phoned up probably a couple of years ago and we were, we had an industrial estate that was being constructed and they were piling. So he was quite irate because it was nine o'clock in the morning and he was tired and um, he'd rung up off the board uh, wanted to speak to my boss and then said, well, the other guy, the guy on the board's your boss, isn't he? I was like, no, I'm his boss. So it was just automatic that they expected to me to be further down the, the food chain as such, just because I'm a female voice and I'm an industrial. So it's happening less and less, but we still we still get it. You sort of, we sort of laugh it off just saying it's another one, really. Another, another old boy come through. So... <laughs> But we have to laugh about it as well, don't we? Otherwise, we just end up stewing on these things. But we, yeah. it, and it's all part of experience and learning. And in time, those old boys, as we call them, they, most of them learn as well. I, I remember it's it's not, certainly not, not the same kind of story, but it was back in DTZ days again. So, you know, we're talking sort of 20 years ago. And there was always that, old school sort of traditional head director that he would just speak so condescendingly to all the grads in the office and I used to sit there thinking you'll get so much more out of them if you just talk to them properly but it was part of their persona because they felt they were so important and it didn't matter whether it was a male or a female but now when, when I stepped over to King Sturge and, and, and then we became JLL those characters had already fallen away because it was just so old school. We just don't do that. It's not productive. And I think a lot of those older generations, they've already learned, but it still takes time, doesn't it, to to wield it out and 
get those sort of last sort of old sort of generation habits out of the way. But what do you think, Sasha, in terms of, of recruitment? is do, do you find that that's actually fairly even, even or do you think that's still a challenge going forward? I think recruitment in our industry is really, really difficult. And I think it's a legacy thing, if I'm honest. I think, you know, real estate is seen as, you know, white male. And, and as you say, Mel, you know, there, there is limited women, particularly in your industry, in, in your sector, in the industrial. It is difficult and there's a, there's lots of things we can do and there's lots of things I am actively doing in valuation advisory. And that is going into universities and talking to them. I've done I've done a couple of those. I've gone into unis and, and kind of had open conversations about what it's like to work in value in not in evaluation advisory, but um, in real estate. Where we're starting a campaign to go into schools and kind of raise awareness of, you know, it's a it's a great real estate is a great profession to be in. And it's got many, many arms and legs. You don't have to just be an agent or a planner or the COO. You know, you can work in marketing. You can work. You can, can be business support. You can work in HR. There's many, many different arms and legs to it. But I think there's also an element of going into in you know, getting into that sixth form before those they've made those decisions of what they want to be. I think uni's almost a little bit too late. They're already starting their their real estate degrees. And then the other thing that I was on a call regarding um, social mobility was around, you know, speaking to parents, because there is a lot of fear that parents say, oh, you don't want to be particularly in the ethnic, ethnic minority group. You don't want to go in real estate. You will look different. You will be treated differently. And there's a fear, as we all know, as parents, you know, you want to sit there and protect your children, go into the right industry that will protect them and they'll they'll be fulfilled and, it, and you know, they'll be treated as equal and inclusive. And, you know, law is another area and real estate is another is two areas where parents of ethnic minorities say you don't want to go there. There's not enough black or Asian people there. And I think there is an element of going in to speak to those parents as well, which we're actively trying to do in valuation advisory. And on recruitment, some of the great, great things that we've done, we, we produced our DNI strategy last year in May, uh, which was strategy and action plan. And there was a couple of couple of things in there that really shifted the needle for us. And one of them was around, um, you know, when we offer a job and, and we know the market is so limited, is such a limited pool. Um, when we offer a job, you know, we, we won't we won't um, sign that offer off unless there is ethnicity and women been in, been interviewed for that role. I mean, that is very clear. Um, and the statistic, you know, our results in that have been amazing. 70% of our new hires this year have been from the ethnic background and 50% have been women. So that was exactly. And I think you just need to, you know, almost put recruitment's feet against the fire and say you need to go and find that talent for us. Stop bringing us the same talent. And then the second thing is around what we see, what as a candidate, what am I seeing on the screen or who am I being interviewed for? And it also comes back to having a conversation with someone who was offered three jobs and three interviews um, they had all last round. So she was up for all three jobs and two of the roles she was interviewed by um, in two of those interviews, she was interviewed by all men. And the third role, the job that she took, she was interviewed by a man and a woman and she accepted the job where she was interviewed by by the mixed sex um, panel and I asked her like was that a deciding factor why did you go for that job and it was 100% the deciding factor 
it was it wasn't the highest salary but the fact that they showed themselves as a diverse company with a man and a woman being interviewed and actually the questions were very different from the all male and we have to look in the reverse as well we have to be careful that when we interview that we just don't have all female as well so there is a mix so that's the other thing that we've placed into um, valuation advisory is that all interviews are to be done by mixed sex and we have been successful i would have said in 99 percent of the ca in cases we've been we've managed to hire and yeah, they're little like changes, they're little changes yeah. aren't they they're little changes i think if we did that right across jl you know the candidate pool would change that the people the difference that we see in people the diversity we would see would would change one of our lead directors say, well, it's fair enough you saying that, but there isn't enough women to do these interviews. Well, that's my point. Like, I'm quite happy to go on every single interview until you actively go and hire women. But that is the whole point about this. This is about raising awareness to, to all of our teams. Even, in, um, even when we're interviewing, there is not enough women to even conduct those interviews. It's a bit of a difficult question. So... You might need to think about it, but you might not. So you've interviewed from a more diverse sector now because actually to a degree, and we're all doing it, we're shaking up even the recruitment consultants. Don't send me the same type of person. We want that diversity. We want that variety. But then in recruiting, and let's say you've now got, you've recruited a more diverse spectrum of people, whether it's men, women, different ethnicity and so on. How has that changed your teams in terms of their productivity and the success of the business? Are you seeing those changes or is it too early to say? I think it's too early and I think it's really apparent now when you walk on into our department that it looks different. You know, I even looks even when I started 25 years ago, there was only two valuers, women valuers on our floor. But now I look and there was no black or Asian surveyors in our department. So that looks completely different. I think it's too early to say, but they, they we, we need to remember, it's not about, you know, having more women or having more or black people or Asian people. It's about us bringing different skills and different backgrounds and different cultures. Because as I said before, this is a legacy problem we have where it's all seen as a white male, and that's going to take years to come through. And I'm pleased to say the change will happen from grassroots. Even in our recruitment of graduates, you know, that we've got that right. It's a 50-50 mix. And that's going to come through where the challenge is, is when we get to the middle management, is if we find that the women do not feel they're treated equally, they'll start falling out the funnel. And that's where you're going to have a problem and the men will succeed. And having that great support for women who are going on maternity leave, who want a career break. And we have women, you know, and, and men as well. It's not only about nurturing a family, but there's also the elder population as well. Like how we've got our parents who are older and how, and that normally falls on, on, on the women, how we're caring for our elderly as well. And we need to ensure that support is there for all types of people. But I think in answer to your question, I think it's probably too early to say, but the most beautiful thing is I can walk on our floor and, uh, and I see difference. And the reason I, the, one of the reason I was really, really keen on, on showing that difference, I remember interviewing a, uh, a black man. He actually works at JRL still. He worked with me for about eight years. And you know, when you interview, you take them around the floor and we walked onto our floor, which is the fourth floor on Warwick Street. 
And uh, and this is only eight years ago, which is no time at all. And we got halfway around the floor and he said, where are all the black people gone? Where have you hidden them? And it was a real like absolute eye opener for me when I looked around and was like, you know, we have a really good blend of men and women, but we we have we don't have ethnicity here. And it's then I walked away and went, hang on a minute, there is something just quite not quite right here. And that 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 was an eye opening moment for me. Well, I know when I joined King Sturge, I was probably the darkest person. I wasn't probably I was the darkest person on the floor. I'm not that dark. So, <laughs> yeah, but you do feel it and, and you know, and, and it's there when you look around and and likewise, you know, I walk into the Manchester office now and and it's nice to see that we are so much more varied in so many ways for, 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 for different reasons as well. But for those listening to the podcast, obviously you can't see us, but when um, Sasha was just saying that, you know, when she walks onto her floor now and she sees it, it looks different. She had a massive smile on her face and it just it just goes to show that it's just so important. And we're not doing it just to tick numbers and, you know, meet targets. The targets are there because it's important, uh, not not just so that we can tick a box. It's so, so much more than that. It also um, we've found if you've got a more sort of diverse team, that clients are actually wanting that because they're more diverse as well. And that's, you know, we're all here, we're a service industry at JL, we're servicing our clients to get work to earn fees. And, you know, we are having that the clients want a diverse team dealing with things. I mean, um, I did hear there was a pitch where we put a team in and it wasn't diverse and the client said, no, I want a diverse JL team to come in. Um, You know, because we do have, now our clients are diverse now. Um, Clients are younger as well and, you know, we do have to mix it up um, and that gives, you know, different advice and you know, people have different opinions and that's rather than just one opinion one way, that's that's not how it's done anymore, really. 100%. And that, that's another part of our um, DNI policy and our action plan is that, you know, any client that deals with us, every pitch that we go in will have a diverse um, JOL team. And, and that's a promise that we've given that we've given to our clients and is a promise that we upheld. So in order to ensure that that we that we win those pitches, and we win those instructions. I have to ensure that I have a diverse team and diversity. Don't forget, doesn't only come in, 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 you know, being a woman or ethnicity. There's there's neurodiversity as well. But that's about looking at, you know, um, dyslexia, dyspraxia, ADHD, and how we're how we're employing the, these individuals who who are brilliant at their job, but they're seen differently and they come across it differently. And so I'm working with Joe Ormondy in JLT about how we can support that that pool of candidates who are coming in. And I'm sure we we have dyslexia, you know, ADHD in our in our. It's just unseen, isn't it? Unseen disability, and how we're going we, to. We definitely do in the agency team. Yeah. We've got people dyslexic. I'm dyslexic. They were good at talking. We may not necessarily be the best at filling out some test you've got to do when you go for an interview. Um, that's not really fair. Get interviewed. It's not fair. And how do those people get interviewed? And you know, should should they disclose that they've got this um, disability before they even come for Joel? But it's an, it's probably another podcast actually that neurodiversity that that I'm stepping in this world of how we can help and and that's all about voice recognition, isn't it? You know, how can they if you know if they have 
um, dyslexia, we, we have kits and tools in JOL that, that to help to help that disability. But that's for another day. That's why we've changed some of the um, red into purple. I don't know if you know that, because some of the things that go out to clients like um, sort of marketing and um, our research papers, we're not necessarily all doing in red now because red is sometimes really hard to read, even if you're reading not on a screen. So that's why we're doing it in sort of different colours, some of the marketing material that's going out as well. People don't realise that. No, I had, I did, I wasn't aware. The pet, everything jiggles around in certain colours, hence why I can't read the station um, in orange at certain stations because I can't, it just jiggles around so I can't read the times. Oh wow, oh, yeah definitely a, a, a podcast coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> That's fascinating, I did not it know. Is. It, no I, I didn't I know. know about the, I know about the colour issue but I didn't know JLL was actually addressing that which that's brilliant and I'm going to be looking out for it now. That it we makes should sense. be employing, we should be employing people of new neurodiversity as well because they do bring something different. I worked with a young lady quite a few years back who was, who was autistic and she was different and people just didn't get it. They, they thought she was rude, that, that she was um, actually, she was rude and that she was too direct for the team. She liked to sit away in a corner. And it's only until she actually explained, look, I've got autism. I, you know, I have to sit away from everyone. I don't like loud noises. And she was a benefit to us going into client meetings because she was direct. She said it as it was. And that was it. Client was told. And, and she, she brought a great new kind of um, diversity to our team. You know, and, and particularly mean and learning on, on that area as well. Yeah, and people that are dyslexic or mostly have got a higher IQ. So they bring that extra IQ thinking outside the box and things. It's definitely not always about spelling. I guess what it brings us back to is that, you know, we, we need a variety of people, whatever the backgrounds they are, because it just makes us as a team and as individuals, it brings us together. We're more dynamic and we are better together. The, the only thing, Sasha, I wanted to ask you, and I think you're sort of on the same level as I am. I'm really keen that we bring um, people from that haven't had the same sort of education, schooling into the business. And I know you mentioned that in terms of you know, going into schools and things early. Um, and I know you've been a real um, sort of uh, you know, pushing that forward for JL. Do you think we can, do you think that might be rolled out more? Because I do think if we get people younger into the industry, the RSES, in my view, uh, haven't been brilliant at it. They're always hitting the same people. Yeah, it is an area that I probably am a complete ambassador for and something I'm so totally passionate about because, there's, you know, social mobility is from where I'm from. I'm from a very deprived background, grew up in the 70s. Um, I've, I've mentioned many times on different podcasts, both inside JOL and outside JOL, about my own background. But yeah, it is. And, and I think the apprenticeship scheme is amazing. And there's an unconscious bias there in itself isn't it when, when people when we ask people to take on apprentices they kind of think oh no they're going to be useless they have a perception that they're lazy you know that may you know, and that there's an unconscious bias amongst all that but yeah we do need to do more we do need to get into schools we do need to get into inner cities and you know there's many many families deprived families out there 
that just would never even heard of JRL, never even heard of the real estate industry, but they have so much to give just because you are not educated doesn't make you sick. It doesn't mean that you can't come to work on time every day and give an absolute give your all to JRL. I am one of those people, you know, I am come from a background which I never went to university. In fact, the only time I have been to university is when I've stepped on a stage and talked about come and join JRL, come and join real estate. And that was last year in November. So it was the first time I've ever been to university. So I'm I'm not educated. Um, and I'm really, really keen on bringing different that, that and I always find that you know the apprenticeship apprentices and you know those from grassroots straight out of school we don't always want to do education i certainly didn't want to do i wanted to go i needed to go out and earn money due to my family circumstances i'm really keen on bringing them into jail and showing them what a great place it is to work and you will be supported and you will be looked after and you will be skilled and you will be educated on the on the apprenticeship scheme so we are doing lots you're right about the rics but i can't change that but what i can do is make sure that we get the right um apprentices and grassroots in jail and give everyone of that age a fair shot and part of the challenge is the last 20 years or so there's been this really big drive about everyone must leave school and go to university and so there's those kids out there that they want to do something they want to be successful but they know they're not going to uni not necessarily because they haven't got the um the the, the, the intelligence to do that it's just that they're just thinking i cannot afford to go i don't want all that debt how am i supposed to get into uni and survive that financially and the apprenticeship scheme is starting to show and i think i think across all the offices in jll now we're starting to see those apprentices slowly come through and as we get used to them being there and then being used to them being used to being within jll as well we're able to showboat more that jll is a yeah. good place to come as an apprentice they will eventually get their degree they'll be working for five years get qualified and they haven't got university debt absolutely and they're, and they're that, brilliant the ones we've had but yeah, and they really work hard and you know because they really want to be there so and we're giving them the chance but they are earning the chance because they're working so hard and you know they haven't got it on a plate if you see what I mean so actually they work really hard and they're really you, know, you want them in that team it is of what they offer yeah it is tough for the apprenticeship you know 20% of their of their stud of their time at JRL has to be done on study leave so they're working four days a week plus they're doing one day study leave but we also have to remember there's a whole cohort of apprentices out there from the business support arena and and a lot of them have stayed and a lot of them are, are absolutely on fire in JOL and and to name just a few we've got Cameron Clark who was one of uh, one of our apprentices he's now a marketing coordinator we've got Neve Roach who's a team coordinator and PA in the living arena that's just two that, that I could think of top of my head if I had a list I could name more and it, and it, isn't it lovely to see that the the cohort that we originally when I started the um, apprenticeship scheme years ago with Pam Duke they're just about to take their APC and so they will be fully qualified hopefully this uh, spring and autumn and that's a five seven year journey they've had and, and it's just wonderful to see wonderful yeah, it's brilliant. There's one thing before we wrap up, I'd just like to touch on because we, we, we haven't done really. And um, 
it, it's just it, it's a general thing, not just in terms of for the gender balance group. It's important in terms of all the different DNI groups across the business, and it's actually being quite direct. It's about calling it out, and I just think it's really important that. Um, from my perspective, that if someone feels uncomfortable about a particular matter, that they shouldn't feel that they need to hide it and just carry on and stew and feel like they can't take that matter anywhere. And I think we've all experienced either through someone coming to us or whether us even sort of in prior jobs that we've been into that actually not challenging something or addressing it doesn't help them individually or the business that they're in. And I just wonder if have you actually had any experiences of having to call out or maybe on behalf of anybody? I can think of the top of my head. Um, I can think of two. What one one is with me personally, and I only really felt I had to call something out since I got this role. To be fair, and I'm in a. I find that I'm surrounded by leaders who are men, and um, and so I've, I've I go to many meetings, and in those meetings, I remember a couple of times in the, in this particular meeting where they've gone, you know, they've come in and gone, hi gentlemen, and I'm like, okay, that's fine. Or at the end of the call, they're like, oh, thank you, thank you. They name all the men's names and they don't name my name. And I, I, I remember a couple of times where I was kind of sitting there thinking, this went on for, this went on for months. And think, sitting there thinking to myself, is it me? Uh, am, do I not have a voice or am I not sitting right on this, on this, on this, uh, on this video or, and I remember Emily Wood, who's our, who at that time was our CFO and she come on a call and I literally mimicked what she was doing to see if I had a reaction from the men in the call. It didn't work. You know, it, it was just me. And, and it's almost, um, I don't know, it was really, really difficult. And so having got upset about it, feeling that I was overlooked, didn't have a voice, feeling useless, like, why am I in this room if I'm not being asked? And, you know, I've got I've got so much to say and I've got so much experience in JOL. I did have a conversation with, with, with one of the individuals and they were really shocked. They were like, I can't believe you feel like that. Like I never noticed. And and by calling it out and calling out that, you know, those individuals behaviour, they now make an effort and they do ask me and say, oh, you know, if I'm being a little bit quiet and a little bit shy, I know I can be shy. Um, you know, they do ask, you know, have you got anything to add? And that kind of leads me on to, um, you know, the sec the second one. And I, it was an incident that happened about six months ago in the office. And, you know, and it is difficult for individuals to call it out. But if you see it as a senior leader or someone who's older, you must help our younger generation, male or female. And we've got a young lady in work and I could see that that she was being hit upon by, by, by an elderly gentleman. And I, I'd say that he was a lot older than her. And it was making her really uncomfortable. And when you're kind of 18, 19, it's really difficult to, to manage that. You, you, you don't have experience of, of being hit upon or, or being talked to in a derogatory way, in a very sexual way. And I'd, I'd heard it had happened and then I witnessed it had happened. And uh, my my first thing was to do was call him to one side and say, this is inappropriate. You know, it's inappropriate for you to be talking to a young lady like that. But it's inappropriate behaviour for, for something acceptable in JOL. It is not happening. Finish it now. And uh, and she he was totally embarrassed. He thought he hadn't done anything wrong. You know, oh, it's just a bit of banter. Well, no, it's not banter because that young lady there has been exposed to things that she shouldn't, you know, verbally kind of 
chased, um, you know, uh, harassed is, is what I'd say. And it's not right. And so if you do see it, call it out. Definitely call it out. And it is hard. If it happens to you, it's really, really difficult because you kind of think, oh, it's career car crash. Is it going to stop my career? And so if you do find it difficult, then, you know, go and find someone that can help you. Go and find someone a little bit more experienced for you, particularly if you're of the younger generation. Or alternatively, just give me a call and I'll help you. You know, you're not alone in JOL and we want to stamp out this behaviour. Well, thanks, Sasha. Um, it's been really insightful listening to you. And I think we've we've got many takeaways from today's podcast and that the list is far too long to go through them all, all now. But just to wrap up, you know, we still know there is a legacy problem within real estate, but I think we're making massive waves. Things are definitely improving. But as you just touched on, there's certainly things that need calling out still. And that's from a professional behaviour point of way of you, as well as that old generation side. But the great message is there is that you have got a voice out there and it doesn't stop your career. If you're worried about something, call it out. Have that conversation with your line manager or or as Sasha says, call Sasha and uh, you know we'll, we'll get it fixed for you. Or certainly we'll, we'll definitely try. But there's another message there about when does banter become inappropriate? And it's something we all need to think about. And I, and I think that's for all of us for different reasons as well. But, you know, the great things are our floors are starting to look different for many different reasons. And what that also means is those people who felt different before can actually feel indifferent now, if that's the right word, but feel comfortable in the place they come to work. And that is just so important. And, you know, the bias issue, it's always going to be there, but we can work on it and we can question ourselves and improve. And what's great is what you were saying, Sasha, about, you know, you've been in that in that room with um, other senior leaders within the business and they are coming or an individual's coming back to you now saying oh, am i am i doing all right now or what else do i maybe need to improve we're all learning all the time and it's really important it's a two-way process so i i'm going to wrap up there um mel and sasha i'm going to pass it over to you but i'm going to say my thank yous now and then the two of you can wrap up oh thanks joe i, I think i'd just like to just say one thing um, and it's about what advice I think I would give to men and women in, as it's International Women's Day. And I think for me, what's helped me in my career is sponsorship. You know, women need sponsorship, which is more than mentorship. It is, you know, it's more in depth. And finding that sponsorship is you kind of want to find someone who's one or two levels above you. They're there to raise your profile. They're there so you can talk and call it out. That, that's what that person is. And it's a man who will give you visibility. There's, and, and it's also a person that will open those doors, open those opportunities for us. And men are great allies for us. And don't forget that, you know, you use them and, and they will help you. And I think lastly, as a woman, you need to kind of ask yourself and, and probably try this for two weeks. I've done it myself. Try this for two weeks. Sit there in a room, in all your meetings and say, can you see me? And that kind of means, have I got a voice? You know, am I being seen? And um, you know those meetings you go to, think, oh, I haven't said enough or I don't know what to say. I've got something to say. I'm too scared to put my hand up. And, you know, can those people in the room see you? And for men, I would ask you to say, can you see her? And if you're finding that one of the females are being a little bit quiet and there's a little someone who's a little bit shy and they're not putting the hand up, you have to say, Mel, 
do you have something to say? Mel, do you have any interesting ideas? Ask the women if they've got something to say, because most of the time they have so much to say, they're just nervous and shy or they just feel overpowered by the men in the room. And just try it for two weeks and you will find your voice. You will suddenly start putting your hand up and talking. And that's that's what, what I want to leave you with. Can you see me? I think that's incredibly important because I do think also with younger people as well, they'll go to a meeting, don't say anything. I know that I always try and make sure that whoever I'm ever with does actually say something and actually bring them into conversation. And I think, you know, us managers have to do that throughout you know, when you go to a meeting, bring, you know, people are sitting there, not just sitting there, they're actually contributing to that call, you know, to that meeting, because people want to hear who's in that room, really. It's, um, you know, making that a lot more balanced, I guess. And the other thing you were saying about the um, mentoring, um, you know, I've had some, I always, when I got to a certain age, I didn't think I needed a mentor, but actually you do, because it takes you up to another level, and it helps you you know, in terms of exposure and confidence, whatever age you are, really. And navigating this incredibly complex world of being a woman in real estate. Mm-hmm.